The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday. All right, welcome back. It is the Michael Duke Show. Sorry there, we're getting things squared away, getting ready to jump into it with our first guest for today. And that is Dr. John Lott, author of many books, including, of course, uh, the probably most infamous More Guns, Less Crime, his uh, uh, The War on Guns, and many, many others. He's also a statistician, a columnist, and the pre- and the president, the presenter, the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, he's got an article up in Newsweek here, which I'm posting up in the chat room right now, uh, which uh, touches a little bit on the tragedy that occurred there in Uvalde and why a lot of these uh, options that we keep hearing about are not really going to solve any of our problems, which we've talked about on this program uh, many times. Dr. John Lott joins us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on board and joining us. All right, so we know the knee-jerk reaction, Dr. Lott, uh, in, in any of these situations is essentially it all boils down to we must do something. That's That's the answer because it is a... Horrific event. We're not going to dis- we're not going to debate that. It's a horrific event. It's tragic, and the public is outraged, fed by the news media and everything else. And so politicians feel obliged to do something. The problem is, is that most of these responses are emotional responses, and what they're actually proposing would do usually nothing, if very little, to affect these things. And this article that you wrote says the focus on gun control won't solve our problems here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why you say that is. Well, uh, my concern is that they're more likely to make things worse or have no effect. Uh, I want to do something, but I want to do something that's actually related to these attacks. So, you know, we have uh, Biden and others going on saying, well, we need background checks on the private transfers of guns. I, w- I want someone to point to one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped if such a law had been in effect federally and it had been perfectly enforced. Right. Because I can't find such a case. Right. Uh, you know, they want to go and push red flag laws. And and I think the evidence is that these red flag laws actually increase suicides rather than decrease them. Look, very few people talk about the fact that we already have better laws on the books. If they want to make some tweaks to those, fine, let's talk about them. But uh, but so what we have right now, all 50 states, including Alaska uh, and the federal government, have 
what's called uh, involuntary commitment laws. It goes by different states, uh, right. names in different states. Right. Uh, uh, the Baker Act in Florida or the 5150 in California. I'm not sure what it's called off the top of my head in Alaska. But um, what happens is, is that uh, if a friend or neighbor or relative believes that you're a danger to yourself or others, they can call up the police. And uh, if the police believe that there's a reasonable suspicion, which is like a 20 percent probability or so, uh they can take the person in uh, for a mental health evaluation. Mental health care experts will evaluate the person. And if they believe that uh, there's a concern there, uh, there can be an immediate hearing. And the judge, if you can't afford a lawyer, one is provided for you. And a judge then has an, a large range of options that they can take. They can go and uh, just say, look, I'm concerned. I'm not going to involuntarily commit you, but if you agree to, uh, you know, outpatient voluntary commitment, uh, you know, we'll have you back in a couple of weeks and we'll evaluate the situation. Or, you know, if they wanted to, they could take away your gun or if they can involuntarily commit you. But there are other things that they can do. Um, the red flag laws essentially gut all those uh, protections that are there. Well, if all that happens with red flag laws is uh, uh, if somebody's concerned, they put in a complaint. The only thing that the judge sees in front of him is the written complaint. There's no ability for you to go and challenge anything that's there. Uh, you don't even know that uh, there's a complaint there. Right. The first thing you know that there is an issue is the police are showing up at your door at 5 a.m. in the morning in order to uh, to take your guns. Right. Uh, maybe within a month after uh, that happens, uh, there will be a hearing. And uh, uh, all that happens at, at that point is if you lose, as you your guns are taken away from you, the judge has no other options. There's no mental health care people involved in the process. And these red flag proceedings are virtually always used because of concerns about suicide. Right. And, uh, uh, and you, you don't get your lawyer paid for. And what happens is, is that, uh, for most of these cases, uh, it costs about $10,000, uh, for a lawyer, uh, to help you through the hearing. And the problem is, is that, uh, you may want to keep your guns, but is it really worth $10,000 to you? And the vast majority of people say no. Right. And so, or the they don't have the money, people, right? Or they don't have the money right. to do it. Right. Right. And so uh, what happens is, is that they simply uh, lose their guns uh, because they, they don't have any legal counsel there. But, you know, the notion that if, uh, you're really concerned about somebody committing suicide, that if you simply take away their guns, you've solved the problem, isn't a serious, you know, proposal. Right. Uh, it's just that the gun control people want to make it seem as if, well, once you take away a person's guns, then problems are solved, you know, because it's the guns which are the entire problem there. Uh, you know, but it's it's not serious. And uh, uh it's a lot easier to go for gun control people to set up an entire new law 
than it is for them to go and take existing law and gut the protections that are there. Right. Well, and and, the, the biggest problem with all the red flag laws, of course, is from a constitutional standpoint, is the complete and total lack of due process. I mean, there is right. no well, you're, you're never warned about it you, you and you can't face it. And again, you mentioned in your article, there's only one red flag flaw, uh, red flag law in the entire U.S. that even mentions mental health or mental illness in its in its uh, in its uh, in its guts. And we already have other laws on the books for that. Why aren't we using those laws? Right. Well, I mean, e- even in the one time when they mention it, they don't they do nothing more than just mention it. Red mental health care experts are not involved in the process in any of these states. And, uh, um, you know, if you're really concerned about somebody uh, committing suicide or something, you would think you're going to want to get them some help. Right. You know, you you just don't. And you want to have some type of expert evaluate them. Right. You don't want to. You just don't want to have just simply a neighbor writing a written complaint as uh, as the basis for your decision on that. Well, and I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, what, uh, oh, the executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, Nikki Gozer, uh, she uh, had, uh, she watched a, a stalker murder her husband in front of her uh, about 13 years ago. Uh, this guy had had been stalking her and uh uh you know obviously as anybody would be she was incredibly depressed afterwards and uh you could imagine uh some neighbor or friend or whatever saying look i know nikki's extremely depressed uh she owns a gun i'm concerned and and all the judge would see would be that well Taking away her ability to defend herself after one of her stalkers uh, uh, just murdered uh, her husband in front of her would make things even much worse. Uh, she'd be afraid to go out of the house uh, if right. that was the case. Uh, but if you if you have uh, one of these Baker Act type rules, uh, first of all, she would see a mental health care professional. And she could explain the situation to the mental health care professional. And even if the mental health care professional, uh, you know, didn't agree with this, uh, she still would have her day in court. And if she couldn't afford a lawyer, which would was unlikely at the point of time that she could have, uh, one would have been provided for her. Right. But well, look, we all we all acknowledge that a big part of all these issues are mental health issues. And what would have a more chilling effect on people who should be seeking help than saying that if you talk to anybody, you talk to your family, you talk to your neighbor, you talk to your best friend, you talk to your coworker, exactly. let alone let alone talking to an actual psychologist or, or a psychiatrist. I mean, what would be more chilling to them if they are gun owners than to say, I can't talk to anybody about this because they could involuntarily just rip my guns away uh, that I may need to protect myself, even though that's not part of the problem. It has a super chilling effect. Exactly. What you're saying is exactly right, because uh, it may simply talking to people when you're depressed can be extremely important in helping you cope with things, helping you get over the depression. Uh, But you're exactly right. you know, they understand this kind of point in other areas, but for some reason, when it comes to guns, uh, 
uh, liberals kind of refuse right. to acknowledge that uh, this can have, and it's not just for somebody like her. Take right. police officers. Uh, police officers tend to be depressed at a relatively high rate compared to everybody else. They tend to commit suicide at a relatively high rate. Uh, but you take away a police officer's guns, and you've taken away his go- job. Yeah. Well, so do we really do we really want a world? where police officers are afraid uh, because they're going to lose their jobs uh, to go and talk to other people about the horrible things that they see on their job that make them depressed. Well, that's been that one really? of the, yeah, that's what been one of the biggest problems again with like veterans coming home from war zones who want to talk, who need to work through things like PTSD and trauma that they experienced on the battlefield, but they are becoming terrified to talk about it because the second that they say they may be suffering, they're afraid that they're going to lose their gun rights on top of that. These are people who are trained and used firearms every day and did all that. And and it's the same kind of thing. So this is just one. This red flag thing is just one aspect of it. But you start off the article with what I think is a very interesting point. And you have made this point many times on this program and many other venues where you talk about here we have a gun-free zone. This is a place where people are banned from carrying concealed handguns, and um, yet perpetrators are searching out these areas. There was a the case in California where the kid wrote in his journals how he was trying to pick the place, and you talked about that in the past where he said specifically he was looking for a gun-free zone. And the Buffalo shooter, you write about that in the article. He says the same thing, right? No, exactly. I mean, the bizarre thing is, is that time after time, where these guys have left written records, uh, they explicitly talk about uh, how they picked the target that they did. Uh, you know, it's just amazing that, as you say, the Buffalo shooter that we just had went through, had a very vivid description of his ideal target, that he wanted to go to a place where people didn't have permanent concealed handguns. Uh, because it made it easier for him to go and do the attack. You know, the bizarre thing is the gun control people say, well, uh, you know, this good guy with a gun stopping these attacks doesn't work because um, in the Buffalo grocery store attack, uh, there was an armed uniformed guard there, uh, even though nobody else had, nobody had a concealed handgun. And what they don't seem to understand, and I've written about, I don't know how many times, is if you have one person in uniform who has a gun, and this murderer had had cased the grocery store, so he knew that there was a guard there, he knew where the guard stood, um, uh, you have a you have a real tactical advantage over that one person in uniform. Uh, you know, if you kill that one person in uniform who has a gun, uh, you're going to have free reign to go after other people at the at the place there. And so who do you go after first? Right. And, you know, being a guard, whether you're the lone guard at a school or someplace else, um, you know, so you have somebody in an elementary school. Uh, they're in uniform. They're there day after day, week after week, month after month. Uh, you know, what's the odds that anything's going to happen at any particular uh, elementary school? You know, see, we've had a couple big uh, school shootings at elementary schools. Uh, you know, there, there are tens of thousands of elementary schools around the country. Um, you know, it's a very boring job. 
Uh, it's hard to be on your toes day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the killer there has a huge strategic advantage. He can either go and uh, uh, wait for the uh, person in uniform to leave the area before he engages in the attack, or uh, he can move on to another target. Or he can kill that person first. And that's what they'll do. If they are going to do the attack, uh, they know if they take out that one one person with a uniform. So he's standing out there. He's readily identifiable. My, my point is, if you're going to have a police officer guarding a place, for God's sakes, don't put him in uniform. But that's what they do all the time. And and. Don't make it obvious that right, he's guarding right. the place. Uh, Hire him as a, as the gym teacher or something like right. that. At put the a place. put a put a mop in his hand and make him the janitor and let him walk around the school with an empty bucket f- filled with a firearm all the time or something. Doctor John Lott is our guest. We're coming up on the break. We're going to continue. I want to talk about some of the other things that the president has said here uh, since this is all taken off and some of the things that are being well we're being lied to about. Doctor John Lott, our guest. We'll continue with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Dr. John Lott is our guest. Uh, We're talking about, uh, uh, again, uh, some of the issues that are coming up on here. You know, I think the one thing, as a statistician, uh, Dr. Lott, you probably get a lot of criticism. There was a, I watched uh, the other day, Anna Navarro, uh, who is supposedly a Republican, was uh, was having an interview with uh, with, uh, Jonah Goldberg. And he basically just said, look, I I just, you know, let's put everything kind of into perspective. And he talked about that, you know, the number of children in America, 54 million children who go to K through 12. And in the last 29 or 30 years, 170 have been killed in school shootings. So it's kind of like a statistical, don't go too far over the edge. Don't make an emotional decision is kind of, I think, what he was trying to say. And when you look at it overall, and even if it's not just children, just even deaths, statistical deaths by firearm, and then even breaking it down further into a subset of long guns, and then breaking that even further down into the subset of the so-called you know assault rifles or black rifles or whatever, we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, and yet everybody acts as if it's happening on every corner every day. Everyone's a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. Everyone, every child, every person lost is somebody's, you know, child, mother, brother, sister, you know, whatever. But the whole thing is, is that statistically, it's still excruciatingly low, but we keep getting fed this idea that it's happening every day on every corner and you should be essentially jumping at shadows. Right. Look, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't agree with either of them. Uh, You know, at least he's pointing out because he was saying how much uh, he agreed with everything that the actor uh, McConaughey uh, was was saying. Uh, And McConaughey just went through the litany saying, you know, we need background checks or changed background checks. We need red flag laws, you know, things that you and I just discussed. And uh, so he was in complete agreement with all the different types of gun control laws there. He was just saying, you know, uh, let's, not, you know, dial back the rhetoric a little bit on it. And, uh, you know, and of course, she was for all those laws, but 
you know, having the, the rhetoric that she had there. Um, yeah, I've never seen anything that she said that would make me believe that she's ever been remotely a Republican. But the um, uh, but I'm not sure he is either uh, on this stuff. Uh, so who knows? Uh, it's just. But again, the statistic, I think the whole thing is, is that you're basically going to throw ninety nine point nine nine percent of all legal, lawful, law abiding American citizens, gun owners and everything else. Um, you know, you throw them under the bus because of the actions of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of the people out there who are doing things, which, of course, suck up all the press in the room, get all the oxygen in the room. And and that's not the I mean, that's not the answer, because somebody drunk drives and hits a bus full of kids and kills everybody. You're not going to basically pass a new national law uh, and sue Ford Motor Company or sue Jack Daniels or, or everything else that they're talking about because this happened. You know, in one instance, a again, an anomaly, literally at the end of the day, statistical within the almost the margin of error. It, it and again, not to trivialize the deaths, but to say you can't use that as a yardstick to punish 330 million Americans. Right. Look, uh, I understand the desire to go and do something, and it may be small. Uh, it's just that let's do something that's actually related to this. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I guess what I would have pointed out is um, whether it's small or large, uh, you have to look at also the benefits that are there. Uh, I On our website at crimeresearch.org, we have literally dozens of recent news stories of people using permanent concealed handguns to stop what otherwise would have been a mass public shooting. Uh, you know, you have these laws that go and ban guns in different areas or uh, ban certain types of guns or what have you. Uh, the thing is, who obeys those laws? And, and the problem is, is if you pass laws that primarily disarm law-abiding good citizens, not criminals, uh, you actually make it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. Uh and the gun-free zones is a perfect example. Uh, um, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Nikki Gozer earlier. Uh, she, her, her husband was murdered by this stalker in a gun-free zone. Right. She obeyed the law. Uh, at the time, uh, any establishment that served alcohol, you were not allowed to bring your permanent concealed handgun in. Uh, she obeyed the law there. She left her gun locked in her car. Uh, when she and her husband went in, were in that restaurant, the murderer obviously didn't do that. In fact, right. the murderer took advantage of the fact that she and others were obeying the law. And that's what these guys do. You read the diaries. You read the manifestos, like the Buffalo uh, murderer. Right. And, uh, oh. you know, so Hold. it's kind of like, would, would you put a sign in front of your home that said your home is a gun-free zone? Exactly. If somebody exactly. was... Hold, hold on. Somebody was, hold on, John. I'm sorry. We're coming back to the radio. Hold hold on a second here. We're going to jump back into it. We'll start this discussion again. All right. Continuing now, Dr. John Lott is our guest, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. You can find them at crimeresearch.org. In fact, they're putting together a whole cadre right now of shootings that have been stopped by concealed carry holders across the uh, nation showing that the defensive use of guns 
um, is, as we've talked about in the past, far outweighs the actual usage of guns in violent crimes as well. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, what happened in Uvalde and in Buffalo and in other areas and how the reaction is from politicians to give off and reel off a litany of things that need to be done, most of which would not have solved any of these problems. We talked about background checks. A lot of these shooters have gotten their guns legally passing a background check. We've seen laws that have not been enforced. The Parkland shooter had had multiple interactions with both local and federal law enforcement and was still able to get a background check and go. This, you know, the Sutherland Springs shooters uh, had a dishonorable discharge that never got reported in the NIC system. We've seen that fail as well. But they continue to go on and talk about all these things. Uh, one of Biden's biggest, well, aside from his fact that the Second Amendment never guaranteed that you could buy a cannon, which is totally wrong because there were private owners ownership of all kinds of firearms prior to this. I mean, that was an outright lie. But then his discussion goes on to talk about banning assault weapons and how his assault weapons ban was the perfect example of how every, and yet that's not what the numbers show, Dr. Lott. No, it, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, look, you know, in the, I mean, I guess like on the Canon thing, uh, the media, uh, at least there are a couple fact checkers that will go and criticize him, but he uses it over and over and over and over again. Um, and it just doesn't seem to matter uh, to him or the White House. Look, um, uh, you know, if, first of all, if you, he claims that there's this big drop that occurred in uh, mass public shootings or right. attacks with assault weapons when, uh, uh, when the 1994 ban went into effect, and that's simply false. You 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 really see absolutely no change uh, in the number of attacks. If if the assault weapons ban were driving any change that might be occurring, uh, what you would see is a drop in the percentage of attacks using assault weapons. Uh, but in fact, what you find is that when the assault weapons ban went into effect. The percent of, a t of mass public shootings using assault weapons actually increased. And then when the when it sunset in 2004, uh, the percent of attacks using assault weapons actually fell. So, you know, the only way you can have it so that the assault weapons ban is driving any changes is that when the ban goes into effect, you have a relatively large drop in uh, attacks with assault weapons compared to attacks without assault weapons. Because you might actually have somebody who would have been using an assault weapon, if it matters now, to go and use a handgun or something. Right. Uh, and, but, uh, but you're not going to get a change in the total being driven by the assault weapons ban unless you have a drop in the share of attacks using so-called assault weapons. So, but look, uh, you, you and I know this whole definition of assault weapons is, is just made up. Um, you know, they, and Biden and the Democrats, you listen to the discussion in the House Judiciary Committee uh, this last week. Um, you know, I don't know whether these guys purposely don't understand what a gun is or how it works or whatever, but it, it sure comes across that way. Uh, you know, they, they keep on referring to uh, an AR-15 as a weapon of war, uh, the, the, a gun that the militaries use, which is completely false. It, it fires the same bullet 
with the same rapidity, doing the same damage as a semi small caliber semi automatic hunting rifle. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, if they wanted, you know, and Biden uh, just uh, in the last week or so, uh, I guess just the week before last, was uh, t- talking about uh, nine millimeter bullets as being high caliber bullets, <laughs> and that nine nine millimeter bullets, any any gun that can fire nine millimeter or above, uh, should be banned. Eighty eight percent of the handguns sold in the United States use uh, nine millimeter bullets or above. Uh, you know, essentially. Uh, Virtually all uh, hand, uh, rifles uh, use uh, use that. I mean, you take uh, a 22 caliber long round rifle uh, bullet, and it's not that much different from a nine millimeter in terms of uh, uh, you know velocity. You know the ballistics right the ballistics the damage ballistics right uh we're down to the last four minutes here so i want to give you an opportunity i mean what is the solution uh because i mean again they're giving us you know word salad and lies and innuendo and we must do something uh kind of rhetoric but what is you know part of the solution here in your mind dr lott you've been looking at this for a long time what you know what do you think fixes this it's what we talked about earlier. You gotta, you gotta get rid of these gun-free zones. These gun-free zones haven't been around forever. Uh, you know, the federal gun safe school zone act got originally passed in uh, in 1990. It didn't go into effect. They had to revise it in 1995. But uh, you know, um, you know. You have to, you can't ignore all these statements by these murderers about why they picked the particular target. I have to say one thing that's kind of amazing to me is the number of these attackers that actually say in their diaries or manifestos that they know after their attack, there's going to be a new push for gun control. Uh, The Buffalo uh, murderer actually picked using an AR-15 because he knew it was going to get people the most upset. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you have this bizarre situation where uh, New York has uh, has an assault weapons ban that's more more strict than uh, uh, the federal assault weapons ban that Biden uh, touts all the time. And yet after the attack there, he goes to Buffalo and uh, he says, you know, these this attack and these attacks would be ended if we uh, had a federal assault weapons ban. And yet, you know, nobody in the press says, well, you know, Mr. President, the guy, as they virtually always do, got the gun within his own state. Um, and uh, they already have a law that's even stricter than the one that you're proposing. And it didn't stop. Right. That's the other He's- thing. You know, they go and they say things like uh, these background checks on private transfers. I wish, I wish one reporter would go and ask, you say, okay, uh, you say this is the solution. Can you point to one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped 
if such a law had been in effect and had been perfectly enforced. Just one, just point right. to one case. Of course they can. Of course they can. Dr. John Lott is our guest, author of the book, The War on Guns and More Guns, Less Crime, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Dr. Lott, hold the line for a second. Thank you so much for coming on board this morning. We appreciate it. Folks, Hour 2 of Firearms Friday is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Sorry about that, Dr. Lott. We were up against the hard break there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I find it ironic that nobody wants to ask those questions. There's really, you know, the lack of journalistic integrity in this country is astounding to me that they just, again, there may be some fact checkers that call the president on something, yet he continues to use the same trite and and obviously uh, untrue uh, uh, facts over and over and over again. And pretty soon people just act like, oh, that must be the truth. And, uh, you know, they're not doing a great job of it. And on top of that, they're capitalizing on the fear of these kind of things going on, which is what we were talking about earlier with the actual statistics. I mean, you know, when you have a fraction of, of a fraction of a percent of people who are killed in this country uh, kill. I mean, in fact, it's uh, the last numbers were it's almost twice as many people were beat to death with hands, fists and feet than were killed with all rifles, let alone AR style rifles. And yet. There's no hue and cry on that, but it's just become such a it's become such a spectacle that that's what we've come to expect in this country. Right. No. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, the media doesn't even try to pre- present things on both sides. You know, there's so many myths out there, such as that the United States is somehow unique in terms of mass public shootings. Uh, you know, people go to our website at crimeresearch.org. Uh, you know, we have data from other countries. The United States is way below the world average. We make up about 1% of the world's mass public shooters, and yet we make up about 4.5% of the world population. Uh, you look at Europe, there are many countries in Europe. What people don't do is put these things in per capita terms. You have to adjust for the fact that we have over 330 million people right. in the United States. Right. Uh, you have countries in Europe that have three, four, five million people. The, lar- the most populous country in Europe is Germany with 80 million. France has 60 million. Um, you know, just simply having uh, four or five times the population of these other countries, you expect uh, us to have more of whatever. It's not like you're going to go and compare the number of murders in Texas to the number of murders in Alaska, okay, in order to try to figure out what the murder rate or the rape right, rate right. is or something. You you have to adjust for the fact that, uh, you know, Texas, Texas may have— They got 10 times know, the population of Alaska, right? Well, I think it's more than 10 and maybe closer to 20 or something like that. But it's just—anyway— um, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta take those things into account. But yet, even though they'd never compare uh, crime rates uh, or crimes across states by just looking at the total number, uh, for some reason they're locked into doing that when it comes to uh, mass public shootings. Well, it's because it it fits their narrative. 
right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's a narrative that they that they want to they want to follow. That's why they do it. That's why there's uh, you know chicanery and and deception with the numbers is because it fits ideally into their narrative. What they want is that Americans should be disarmed, and if we all just had no firearms, we'd live in a utopian society. Except, of course, we know even from examples that they like to hold up, like England and Australia and other places, that that doesn't necessarily fit. That that's not exactly what happens. Right. Well, I mean, on our website, we also go through like. What's happened in those other countries, uh, the UK, for example, uh, you know, people say, well, look, UK is very strict gun control laws. Uh, they ban, uh, you know, handguns, and, uh, rifles and stuff. You can get a shotgun uh, if you go through a long licensing process. Uh, and they say, look, they have a low homicide rate, so it must be the strict gun control. But what they ignore is that uh, while the murder rate or homicide rate in the UK is, is still lower than the United States, it went up after you had uh, the handgun ban, for example, in 1997. Right. Um, the gap got smaller because it went up relative to the United States. So, you know, it's, uh, or Australia, um, it's just kind of a complete misreading of the statistics to say that uh, their gun buyback that they had in uh, 1996 and 1997 lowered firearm homicides or firearm suicides or whatever. Um, you know, it's just uh, those have been falling for a decade and a half beforehand. Uh, they actually continue falling, but at a much slower rate after uh, the buyback had occurred. Um, uh, if, People just compare the before and after average. But you know, if you just take a simple example, let's say it had been falling in a perfectly straight line before and afterwards. Right. Uh, would you look at that and say, well, it made a difference? I mean, the after average is below the before average, but uh, it was going at exactly the same rate down beforehand as it was afterwards, had no change in it at all. Uh, you wouldn't say that it had an impact, but in fact, uh, it started falling at a slower rate afterwards. Um, and beyond all that, um, people were able to go back and buy guns again. And by 2010, uh, the gun ownership rate in Australia was above what it was before the buyback. Yeah. So, you know, it just makes no sense. Dr. John Lott, our guest, again, uh, crimeresearch.org. That should be your clearinghouse for a lot of information and a lot of different things, including the new compiled cases where the concealed handgun permit holders have stopped, you know, likely mass public shootings and things like that. It is some fascinating data. Dr. Lott, we appreciate all your hard work, and we look forward to talking to you again here in the future. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. As always, it is my pleasure, sir. Thank you for being part of it today. We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.